This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as part of the 2022 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Well, it's been great to join you guys the last week or so. Uh, how many of you guys are really tired after your first week? Which means I'm going to get a handful of glazed looks. Because you guys worked at Walmart Hill how late last night? Like 11? Alright. Hopefully this will stay. Alright, so why don't I jump in. Uh, it's been great to be with you guys. I'm here with my wife and five kids. And uh, either my kids are going to like beg me to bring them back to South Carolina or never ever again. They've seen kind of now what it looks like. So, but they've had a really good time, uh, and it's been good to be go with you. Maybe, maybe I can just pray as we kind of jump in, and then we'll kind of talk about a few different things. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. We pray that this time now would be fruitful as we think about some different things related to life and ministry and church. And we, we just pray that you would speak in this time even now, Lord. Pray that you give us awareness and that this would be good for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to open with a question, and I want you guys to think about this. What are the main priorities in your life? So think about that for a moment. Like, what would you say are the three top priorities in your life if you had to, like, boil it down to the top three? So what do you spend things doing, spend your time doing, spend money on, maybe you spend your energy researching. So what would you say are the top three things that you prioritize? It might be school, maybe sports, maybe your social media accounts, maybe getting a good job, maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe your relationship with Jesus, but what would you say are your top three priorities? Now remember that answer, we're going to come back to that in just a little bit, but we all have a lot of things that fight for our attention and our time, and almost all of those things are good things, right? Like family and school and friends and work, and we can go through life focusing on good things, but my aim is that we would not miss the most important things in life. And I would make the argument this morning, as we talk about the local church, is that a Christian that does not prioritize the church is not a healthy Christian. So that's kind of a big statement, and I think I'm going to try to defend it, but a Christian that does not prioritize the local church is not a healthy Christian. So, when you think about the top three priorities, how many of us put the local church in like the top three, or even the top five, or even the top ten? My guess if I had to kind of guess, is that very few of us, if we were being honest, would put the church as one of those things that we really spend our time, energy, kind of uh, engagement, thinking about or, or or just even thinking about. So the, the church at times can feel a little bit maybe stodgy, old-fashioned, authoritarian, maybe a little bit backwards, and it's almost become kind of popular to criticize the church. You know, there, there used to be, I think, a guy that made a video, uh, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, right? Like, that, that's sort of become commonplace. 
And so, and, and I think when we think about the church, we think of like our local churches, which have problems, right? We have difficult people, we have sinners, maybe our churches are too political or not political enough, maybe they're not loving enough, maybe they're too controversial, and you kind of fill in the blank with whatever you might say the church is. So it's easy to be critical of the church. Uh, before I became a pastor, I used to work as a graphic designer in San Diego, and the thing that bugged me most about churches was they always had the worst graphics of anything out there ever. Right? It was always like the bar from the 1990s. I guess I don't even know what the bar is, but it, it, it was basically the worst graphics always with the church. And that used to just drive me nuts as a graphic designer. So, so kind of the thing I, I want to talk about today is that the church should be one of our highest priorities and it's essential for our spiritual growth and maturity and for us to become more like Jesus. And I think very often, we don't often think about the church playing a central part of that. Like we think about our relationship with Jesus, we think about Bible reading, we think about prayer, maybe we think about mentors, maybe we think about e groups since you're part of campus outreach, maybe you're thinking about summer projects. Like that's really gonna put me on the fast track to getting closer with Jesus. And like the church, well, like that's just what we do on Sunday morning. Like I remember when I was in college. Uh, you know, it was pretty commonplace. So, like, I guess I have kind of the main church I go to, but if I miss the ride for that one, like, there's four others that I can go to. And it really doesn't matter as long as I get to one of them, right? And nowadays, you can just watch it online for most of churches, or you can, like, visit a different church all the time. And so I'm going to suggest that the church should be one of our highest priorities, and it's essential for our spiritual growth and maturity. So... Before I make that point, let me just think with you together about Jesus and his priorities. If you had to say, what are some of Jesus' greatest priorities when he came here on earth, just kind of name some of them, based on how he spent his time and energy. What are some of Jesus' priorities? Serve. Serve. What else? Loving sinners. Preach the gospel. Prayer. Prayer. Healing, share life with others, life online. What else? Making disciples, yeah, gathering the disciples. What else? Children. Children, yeah. Let the little children come unto me and forbid them not. What else? Lots of stuff, right? Anything else that we're missing? Again, going to the synagogue, casting out demons doing miracles, validating who he was, right? He, Jesus did a lot of things. But I think all of those things were moving towards him gathering a people, his disciples, establishing his authority so that he could ultimately establish the church. And that happened in Acts 2 at Pentecost, right? When the Holy Spirit came, the church was established, and that was going to be the main vehicle by which he was going to bring worldwide transformation. So if you think about Jesus, he came to forgive sinners, rescue people, but all of that moved towards gaining a people for his treasure possession. Or if you guys are reading First Peter, it talks about being a royal priesthood, a, a holy people, a people for his own possession. God was working in such a way that he was gathering a 
people that would be his representatives on earth. So that when he left, what would people see? They would see not just individual Christians, but that they would see Christians gathered together to be the church. And that's what essentially the book of Acts is all about. How God, through Christ and through the Spirit, establishes his church as the primary vehicle for worldwide transformation. So I would suggest that the church is one of Jesus' highest priorities, and it ought to be one of our highest priorities. Now, before I go further, it's important to define what I mean by the church. So I'm not talking about the building, not talking about the service or the ministry programs, but I'm talking about the gathered people of God. And we have the big church, big C, right? The global church, all Christians from all times gathered together. And then there's going to be the small C, the local church. And each of us are part of smaller local churches, the local expression of Christ's church. So why would I say that the church is one of Jesus' highest priorities and not to be one of our highest priorities? Now, uh, what I would normally do on a Sunday morning is just preach through a passage, but I'm just going to kind of reference various passages this morning. Uh, and so the first is just, as we think about the metaphors of the church, like what are some of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the church? Let's see how it One more time. Bride. Bride. What else? The body. Those are the two main ones. There's a few others. What else? Family, right? We're the family of God, brothers and sisters within the church. We're not biological siblings, but we're spiritual siblings bound by the blood of Christ. Now, let me just think about the bride of Christ for a moment. So Jesus uses a marriage as a metaphor for his relationship with the church. So how important is the church to Jesus? Pretty important, right? Like if you said to your friend who was getting married, maybe they have a fiance, and you said, man, you're such a good friend, but I can't stand your fiance. She's so annoying. Like, how well would that go over? Not well, right? Like if someone said, man, you're like my best friend, but like, I hate your wife. Like, she's just the worst. Like, you're not my friend anymore. Like, that just does not go well. And yet so often... As Christians, we can criticize, malign, even kind of look down on the church, and yet we say, we love Jesus. And yet Jesus would say, the church is my bride. He loves the church. He saves those that comprise the church. He sanctifies the church. In Ephesians, it talks about how he nourishes and cherishes the church. He even lays down his life for the church. And so I want to just raise our kind of uh, corporate appreciation for the church as Christ's primary vessel to bring about global transformation. Now, another metaphor that was mentioned is the body of Christ, right? Jesus saves and leads the church, nourishing it, caring for it like his own body. So in the same way that we all care for our own bodies, Jesus says, the church is like his own body. So I think this comes most clearly out in Acts chapter 9. How many of you are familiar with Saul on the road to Damascus, right? A lot of us are familiar with this. And, you know, Saul is persecuting the church. He's just scattered a bunch of them. He's going up north 
to persecute people, to bring them back down to Jerusalem. And what does he encounter? He encounters the risen and exalted Lord Jesus Christ on that road. And what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting his church. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? So he identifies, so identifies with the church that if you're going to persecute my people, you're persecuting me. And so I think that just, again, highlights for us how important the church is to Jesus. And in many ways, we want to have a similar perspective as Jesus does when it comes to the church. So I would argue that the church is a big deal. It's his bride. It's his body. And at the second coming, when Jesus comes back and he wipes away every tear and he sets everything right, all that is wrong is made right, what does he do? He establishes and sets up the church to rule and reign with him and to receive all power and authority. So this is the, the nature of the church. And so I just want to help us kind of rethink the church. Maybe it was, you know, fell outside of the top 20 or top 10 the things that we value, and to move it higher up in our priority list in terms of, you know, as great as campus outreach is, as great as discipleship groups are, as great as summer project is, as great as even personal Bible study is, the church should be one of the primary things that help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Jesus didn't say, when you get alone on the beach with your Bible, there I am with you. He says, when two or three are gathered together in my name, which is the church, then there I am in your midst. And so I just want to kind of raise the bar for how we think about Christ's bride or Christ's body. And it's, it's really popular today just to look down on any institution, any authority, and we'll talk about some of the objections. But I just think it, it, the church is a really big deal to Jesus, and it ought to be a really big deal to us. So before I get to a few practical applications, let me just anticipate a few objections. Maybe you've lost hope in the church. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Uh, maybe you've seen the messiness of a church. Some of you are maybe missionary kids or pastor's kids or you grew up in the church and you know that the church is messy, right? Uh, I remember when I was growing up, I was a pastor's kid. So my dad pastored for like seven years when I was a kid. And I just totally did not have a right perspective about church. I remember really clearly, this is the only thing I remember, but like I'm Chinese American, so my dad preached in Cantonese, uh, so I didn't understand a whole lot of it. Uh, it was sort of a liturgical church. He wore like the robes and the cords and the collar, and so it was, it was just really far from what I was uh, wanting, and I didn't understand a whole lot of it. So I remember very distinctly, I was turned around in the pew, using the pew as a desk, I was a little kid, and I was asking either the high school kid or I don't know who, uh, how to spell cuss words, because I was just learning about cuss words. So I was like, I think it's B-I, like, can you give me the other letters? Like, that's the only thing I remember about church when, when I was a kid, to my own shame. Uh, and so, and for the longest time, I was like, I definitely don't want to be a pastor, right? Like, that's the last thing I want to do. Uh, and yet, as you think about, like, what is Jesus' main vehicle to bring about transformation. It, it, it's not just individual Christians. Yes, he saves individual Christians, 
but he says, you're to be gathered together as my representatives to reveal me to the world as an institution, as, as the church. And so, uh, yeah, the church has problems, and I think that's true. The church is messy because it's full of sinners. How many of us have ever been disappointed in the church? My guess is many of us, right? Like, maybe in a, a group you shared some sin and you were hoping people would like come alongside you and like speak gospel and like encourage you. You know, I, I really struggle with this and they're like, okay, moving on, right? Like, and you're like, dude, where's the love, right? Like, where's the, the gospel? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the truth that comes out in those settings? And it's really discouraging. Um, and, and the church is messy. Um, we can fail to forgive, fail to reconcile. The church can have problems. It can be easy to, for, for the church to lose sight of even its mission at times. We've seen this throughout history, right, where the church has gotten it wrong on really massive things like slavery or fail to stand up for doctrines or even, you know, go into unbiblical practices. We've all seen sort of those weird cults that play with snakes, right? And so they're like, oh yeah, Paul did it in Acts 28, so like, you know, we, we should all do that. Uh, and so the church is messy, and it does indeed have problems. But just think about it for a moment. Jesus knew exactly all the problems the church would have. He knew it would have all of its potholes, all of its messiness, all of its kind of difficulties, and he still died for the church, still made it its, his primary vehicle to bring about worldwide change and transformation. Uh, you know, some of us are perfectionists. How many of you guys are a one on the end? I think I'm a one. Uh, and so we're perfectionists. I remember as a kid, you know, when you get those, uh, what do they call them? The standard uh, eight and a half by 11 paper, right? With the red line and the blue line down the, you guys don't have other kids? All right, you guys don't have other And so when you're a kid, you always had to write your name in the upper right-hand corner along with the date so that people would know. And I remember more often than not, like, I wouldn't get my name exactly the way that I liked it, right? And so then I would just crumple up the paper and start over. And I'd do that like four or five times. Just writing my name in the day. Because I liked it perfectly spaced, you know, exactly the way that, uh, that I wanted it, right? And, and now you guys are like, oh, what's it like to live with you? Yes, uh, she's a very patient woman. Um, but like, every time I would just scrap it because it wasn't perfect. And very easily, Jesus could have did that with, like, man, the church has got all sorts of problems. It's messy. There's sinners. There's people who are unregenerate who are part of the church. Like, let's just scrap it and start over. But he doesn't do that. He says, this is a vehicle. I'm going to sanctify it. I'm going to purify it. I'm going to refine it. And I'm going to use the church to bring about change. So Jesus knew that the church would be comprised of sinners who get jealous, who are selfish, who don't forgive, and yet he still chooses to use the church. Something we often say is the church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And I think that's a good articulation of what we want the church to be, right? The, a, a hospital has broken people, hurting people, angry people at times, frustrated people, people who need help. And yet that's where all the action is. Like, we want to be part of that 
rather than a dusty museum for saints that mainly is just looking at the past. And so uh, I want us to not miss the significance of this. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Right, And we often think of the church being on the defensive. We have gates and Satan's on the attack. And the reality is it's the other way around. That hell is on the defensive. God is on the offensive. His kingdom is growing. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the onward progress of Christ's church. And so I think the main thing is that the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. There is no plan C. And so if we want to be part of what God is doing in the world, I would just suggest that we prioritize the local church in a greater way than we do perhaps even now. And I'm guessing many of us do prioritize the local church, but I think in college it's uniquely tempting just to be like, well, if I miss it, I can go to another one, I can watch something. It's really not that important. Should I really become a member? I'm only here nine months out of the year. I go back home. Uh, you know, I don't really want to get to know the older people in the church because I already have my community. You know, I go to Vespers if you're at Bethel, and that feels really like life-giving. And the church feels like it's not exactly my cup of tea. They don't really sing all the songs that I like. And yet Jesus would say, in that final day, the church is going to exist. CO, Sophistry Groups, and all these other things, they're going to fade away. Uh, They come alongside the central things, but it's not the central thing. So, uh... One one of the things I experienced in just seeing kind of the beauty of the church was uh, I was reaching, I was trying to uh, share the gospel with a neighbor that I had several years ago. I've shared this story before, but uh, probably a bunch of you haven't heard it. And so it was a neighbor of mine, his name was Rich, and, uh, you know, I invited him to church. And so he came to church one week, and he was like, hey, the senior pastor said something about, like, going to a small group. I've never been to something like that. Can I visit yours? Like, sure. Uh, and so I had been praying for this neighbor. I had asked my small group to pray for this neighbor. I'd asked my pastoral staff to pray for this neighbor. So like, I think like 40 people were praying for him. And so he comes to our small group. And after the first meeting, he's like, that was so weird and cool. And I was like, tell me more. And so he's like, well, I, I just never, because we met at someone else's house and he had never been, he had never met them and he shows up at their house. And we think that in, in Christian community, that's really normal, right? Like, hey, I want to visit your small group and you show up to someone's house that you've never met before and you walk in. Like, Christian hospitality, like, that just feels really normal. But here, here he was, like, he's never met these people before. He walks into their house with his, like, five kids and we share a meal all together and then, you know, we study the Bible and during that we're like, hey, where are you at in your spiritual journey? And so he kind of shares a little bit and he's like, can't believe that people do this. Like, that you care about my spiritual, like, journey, my story, and that you're studying the Bible. He's like, this is so amazing. Like, I've never experienced anything like this. And his wife was uh, a Catholic and had been at Catholic churches, but even in Catholic churches, they've never studied the Bible. Uh, and then later on, a few months later, we invited this couple into our group where the husband had uh, kind of a bipolar episode, he ended up cutting someone with a knife during that bipolar episode, getting arrested, and he was out on either bail or uh, he wasn't fully incarcerated yet. Uh, and so we invited him into our small group because we're like, you need community. Uh, and so their family's in our small group, but he had just cut someone with a knife with this bipolar episode. 
And so this non-Christian friend is like, uh, are we not concerned that this guy's gonna like stab all of us with a knife? And we're like, well, you know, we kind of believe in the sovereignty of God. And we're not really all that concerned. We think he's a Christian. And, uh, you know, we think he's kind of low risk for that. Like his kids are here. His wife's here with us. Uh, and, and really, like, he needs community. Like, he's in a desperate place. And it was really striking because he was like, I don't think I'm coming. Like, you guys are just a little too, like, blase about bringing a dude that just stabbed someone who's working, who ended up going to jail for it. Uh, and he's like, this is not cool. And so then he shared this with his, like, non-Christian family. And his non-Christian family was like, those Christians are doing exactly what needs to be done. People need a second chance. And they were criticizing them for pulling out of the church because they were getting this picture of people who recognize that the world is messy. And yet, when we get together, we get to be representatives from Christ. And we get to reveal things that the world just has no categories for in terms of community, of forgiveness, of love, of risk. Right? Like, there's, there was a risk of this guy, and, you know, me and a few other guys in the group were like, well, keep away from the kitchen, you know? Like, uh, and, and if he goes off, like, I guess we'll try to tackle him. Uh, and, and then we visited him in jail. We went to jail because he, he ended up, it was a domestic issue, and, uh, and then we continued to walk with him afterwards, right? Like, his wife was pregnant with her third child, and, uh, the church has an opportunity to embody the things that the world longs to see. And so, maybe just a few practical applications, right? The first, go to church. Uh, I think for many people, church's preference, like, I guess I'll go if I wasn't up too late on Saturday night, and if I think it's going to be a good preacher, or if I'm really, like, got energy that morning. But the, the reality is, I would say, make this one of those things is immovable in your schedule, is engage in your local church. Become a member at your local church. Fellowship with the people of God. Watching online is not the same. I think we all experienced that during COVID. It's terrible, right? You got to hear yourself sing, and the music's not like quite loud enough, and like watching on a screen is just, it, it's not church. Uh, and so I think showing up is just half the battle. Like, how do you let God work in you if you're not sitting under his word, the spirit isn't present, and, and you're not gathered with the saints. And so I would say, just as a very practical thing, like prioritize that in your life. Go to church. Second, invest relationally at church. So it's not just a building or a service, it's not, but it's the people. And so one of the ways to prioritize that is not just to, you know, get there as late as possible, leave as early as possible, but really get to know the families, get the Get to know the old people, the children, and the others that aren't in the same season of life as you. I think that's one of the really important things um, about just doing life. Like, you get to encounter people who experience all sorts of suffering that you just have never experienced, and it just gives you perspective. Like, we have this one couple who, I think, walked uh, in Alabama, or Mississippi, I forget, during, like, Martin Luther King Jr., Days uh, with kind of Selma, uh, and so this African American couple, and just hearing their perspective on race and race relations, like that just helps me at, at the North Campus because we we're pretty white, and and yet there's this godly older African American couple, and I just just have them in my home and be 
hear their stories, and to see their perspective, and to raise two sons in the Twin Cities, you know, African American sons, it was just helpful to understand where they were coming from. And so, so often it's easy to criticize the church from afar, but get to know the people. Uh, and then third, uh, you know, participate, which is not just attend, not just uh, get to know the people, but really begin serving, uh, you know, give, uh, singing on the worship team, going to a Sunday school class, joining a small group, if that's what your church does. Um, I think that's one of the ways that we can really love and engage and know which is the church. So, uh, maybe just as a little concluding reflection. So, the world is looking for transcendence all the time, right? Like, maybe two weeks ago, I was just at Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons with my family, and that was amazing. I've never been to the Grand Tetons, but you come up to this, like, gorgeous, clear blue lake, and then there's just mountains that are uh, covered in snow in the background, and it's like, like this is so awesome you know it's kind of like standing on the edge of the ocean where you're just like i feel so small but this is so like meaningful just to see the bigness of the ocean on these mountains and so the world is looking for transcendence in all sorts of things ufos climbing mountains psychedelic experiences uh sexual bliss and, and the world is longing for community, right? They want to belong. There's all these little sub-communities of people who are into their little niche thing so that they can have community. And the world is looking for happiness and joy in all of the places that they can find. And the world is looking for justice, right? There's people who came out on the streets and, and cried out for justice. And so the world is looking for all of these things, and yet they're finding them all in places that ultimately disappoint. And yet in the church, this is the one place where all of these things they encounter all together. True justice and righteousness, true joy and happiness, true transcendence, where you're part of something much bigger than yourself. And that's where all of these things come together. The church has an opportunity to reveal the glory, the transcendence of God, that we have a sacrificial Savior, we have a selfless community that is united by Christ so that we love each other, so that we care for each other, so that if someone says, hey, I am you know, I got kicked out of my apartment, I think, you know, two dozen families in our congregation would say, hey, we'll take you in. Actually, this sort of happened. When we moved to Minneapolis, we didn't have a house because our house fell through, and so we had seven people, five kids. Our youngest was 10 days old, and we are like, hey, can anyone take us in? Like, and it helped that I was going to be the pastor of the church. And so, uh, but like, people opened up their homes and took us in, like, four different families. They're like, hey, we're leaving. Like, take over our house. Like, here are the keys. I think we can trust you, right? You're going to be our pastor. Um, and, and like, we lived a hundred days just in different people's homes. Uh, and, and it's just, that's the body of Christ. And, and I think any one of you, if you said, hey, I'm really struggling. And if you told your church, people would come alongside you in remarkable ways. And, and it doesn't just need to be financial or housing, but if you said, I'm struggling mentally, emotionally, uh, I'm struggling with anxiety, I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling about my future, people will come alongside you. And so in the church, we have the opportunity to reveal not only 
glory of Christ, but the transcendence of the message of the gospel. That this taps into all of our deepest longings. And, and, and so I would say, make the church one of those important things, important priorities in our life. I would say that there's nothing more important than perhaps the church. And we ought to give our lives and our time and our energy to displaying the beauty of the bride of Christ. That, that's what missions is ultimately, right? We're going uh, across the world, sharing the gospel so that people can become followers of Jesus and so that you can plant a church. And people die to do that. And so make the church important in your life. Maybe I can just pray for us and then I'll hand it over to Reed. Father in heaven, I do pray for these students. I thank you for the work you're doing in them. Pray that you would continue to grow them in their love for you. And then I pray that you would grow their love for the church. That they would love your bride. That they would see how as they gather together with fellow believers as the body of Christ, that they would shine forth your glory into a watching world. And we pray that even this summer, not only that these students would grow, but that many would be brought into your kingdom through their witness, through their lives, through their example at Walmart, at Chick-fil-A, as they do beach evangelism. We just pray that people would have their spiritual senses awakened through their presence, through their words, and that they would come to a saving faith in Jesus. May that name. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2022 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.